My name is Otto Ramos, and I am the new executive pastor here and have been in this role for a couple of weeks, and so I'm still learning how to do this, so if you'll just bear with me and have grace on me, I would certainly appreciate that. As you probably know, Pastor Matt is out. Um, he and his wife, Gina, um, had their uh, fourth child, I think, right? Fourth child. You probably know better than I. Um, I probably should get to know that, um, but... Um, about a week ago, they had their fourth child, and uh, he is out this morning and will return to the office uh, later on this week, and so I get the opportunity um, to uh, pinch hit for him, so I'm really excited about that. As you probably know, we are continuing a series uh, entitled Celebrate Recovery, and uh, the, the slogan for that series, I think we need to release the kids, don't we? Do we need to do that? So my first mess up... Um, my goodness. So if you're a young child and uh, you want to go to church down the hallway here, meet Miss Spring and she will take you down there. If you are new here and your child is going down the hall, feel free to follow them and find out what's going on with them. So my first mess up, my goodness, um, how cool is that? What well, kind of reminds me um, of uh, what Celebrate Recovery is really all about. Uh, because it's for people who have uh, mess-ups in life. Uh, the slogan that goes along with it is that it's for people that have hurts, habits, and hang-ups. And to kind of get us started here, I thought I'd maybe share with you uh, some mess-ups that have happened in church before, um, specifically within the context of communication. Uh, as I just illustrated for you, sometimes we make mistakes as communicators up in front of people, and it doesn't always go the way that we want for it to. And often this may happen when we're trying to convey a message about, you know, up-and-coming events here at the church. And so I found a website that has a lot of mess-ups from church people that has happened uh, when folks are making announcements. Might I share a few with you? The first one says this. Uh, Bertha Belch, a missionary from Africa, will be speaking tonight at Calvary Methodist. Come here, Bertha Belch, all the way from Africa. <laughs> Applications are now being accepted for two-year-old nursery workers. <laughs> the pastor will preach his farewell message, after which the choir will sing, Break, for Break Forth Into Joy. Don't miss this Saturday's exhibit by Christian Martian Arts. <laughs> Another one here. A warm welcome to all who have come today. <laughs> the ushers will come forward and take our tithes and offerings. Um, the 1991 Spring Council Retreat will be held May 10th and 11th. You can laugh at that. We're all, uh, we're all adults here. Uh, the, church, the church will host an evening of fine dining, superb entertainment, and gracious hostility. <laughs> A few more, if I may. Ushers will eat latecomers. <laughs> Tuesday at 4 p.m., there will be an ice cream social. All ladies giving milk will please come early. <laughs> and finally, there will be a potluck supper 
prayer and medication to follow. <laughs> so if you could open your Bibles to John chapter 5, uh, we're going to read a story um, from that particular chapter about how Jesus heals a lame man by the pool. But before we do that, I'd like to uh, provide some additional introductory material uh, to kind of get us um, up to speed on the series that we're doing uh, regarding Celebrate Recovery. Now, as you know, um, one of our elders presented Celebrate Recovery to Pastor Matt uh, a couple of months ago, maybe about six months ago, and um, he has uh, started this program actually a few weeks ago. And as I said just a moment ago, Celebrate Recovery is really captured by one of its slogans that it's entitled or it's designed to help people who have hurts, habits, and hang-ups. And so this week, I did a little bit of uh, research on what these kinds of things uh, might look like. Let me give you an example of what a hurt might look like in a person's life. So um, a hurt is an umbrella term that describes things that have happened maybe to you that make you feel mental, emotional, and spiritual pain. So imagine maybe a time, a time in your life you've experienced hurt from someone close to you. Maybe a boyfriend or maybe a girlfriend, maybe a friend or a church member, maybe even a teacher. But sometimes hurt can be very significant. These hurts can come from verbal abuse. Someone may have spoken words that made an indelible mark on your personhood. Sometimes these things can come from a dad, from a mom, from a spouse. Hurts can come from sexual abuse, also physical abuse. I read a statistic this week that said nearly 20 people per minute are physically abused by an intimate partner in the United States. During one year, this equates to more than 10 million women and men. One in three women and one in four men have been victims of some form of physical violence by an intimate partner within their lifetime. So this is, these are some examples of hurts. Some hang-ups. People who get hurt sometimes develop hang-ups. Someone once said that hurting people can hurt people. This hurt is often expressed in deep feelings of anger, resentment, and bitterness. I read a source this week that says 45% of us on a regular basis lose our temper at work. It also said that more than 80% of drivers uh, indicate that they've been involved in some type of road rage incident. I was reading the New York Times this past week, and there was an article in there um, from this summer, uh, June 1, 2016. That edition said that this year's presidential election is aptly referred to as the anger election. This article said that even 80% of the electorate were dissatisfied or angry with the way the government is operating. And I think if you take just a cursory review of Facebook on a daily basis, we can all see that people are mad, right? People are angry, and people are expressing their bitter bitterness about how they feel regarding our country, regarding politics, regarding, you know, who was elected president, who wasn't elected president, and so on and so forth. People have serious hang-ups. They also have habits, too. Many in our culture suffer from addictions to drugs and alcohol at staggering rates. According to the addictioncenter.com, they state that alcoholism is one of the most common addictions affecting Americans. 
approximately 53% of men and women in the United States report that one or more of their close relatives have a drinking problem. The same website states that it's estimated that over 95% of those who need treatment for alcoholism do not feel they need treatment. Let's localize the problem a little bit. I was reading uh, the Columbus Dispatch a few days ago, and the article was highlighting the epidemic of um, drug addiction and drunk deaths in the state of Ohio. They said this, in 2003, there were 658 drug-related deaths, and in 2015, there were 3,000 deaths. In 2014, Ohio reported more drug overdose deaths than any other state in the entire United States except California, according to data from the CDC. So the Celebrate Recovery Program is designed to address some of these issues. Now, I want you to know, and I think Matt mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, that I didn't mention each and all of the things that Celebrate Recovery seeks to address. There are more things that could fit under a category of a hurt. There are more things that could fit under the category of a hang-up. There are more things that could fit under the category of a habit. And I think you could probably use your own imagination and try and think about what some of these things are. But the reason we're introducing this to our church is because this is really what God has called this church to be. God has called you and I to be people who reach out to others and help them overcome things that they can't on their own. For Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And Jesus intended for our church to be a place for imperfect people like you and I, to find answers and solutions for life that can't be found anywhere else, answers for all of our hang-ups, our hurts, and our habits. Do you have John 5 open? Let's read John chapter 5, verses 1 through 9. It says this. I'm reading from the NIV, the New International Version. It says, Sometime later, just Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me get into the pool when the water is stirred. And when I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. And then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured, he picked up his mat and walked. This is God's word. So today I would like to talk about three main ideas that come out of this passage. I like it because I think it directly relates to the concept of recovering from our lives. The three main ideas are simply these. Jesus goes to the problem. Jesus makes the problem personal, and Jesus solves the problem. Jesus goes to the problem, Jesus makes the problem personal, and Jesus solves the problem. First, Jesus goes to the problem. So just a few observations 
about verses 1 to 3, if you look at them again. Um, in these first couple of verses, we see that Jesus is going to Jerusalem. And as we all know, Jerusalem is a very well-known city. Um, and we know that Jesus went there uh, quite a bit. It says that he was on his way to a festival. And in fact, we know that he was on his way to a festival for, for Jewish males. So this was a very important party, a very important event that Jesus was going to. But he thought it important to stop by at this pool. And as you remember, this pool is referred to as Bethesda. And the term Bethesda actually means house of mercy. Now, what would happen at this pool is that it was near a sheep gate. And so when sheep were coming through town, they would stop at this pool and they would jump in. They would clean them so that they would be purified before they were sacrificed for a religious ceremony. There were also five covered colonnades, the scriptures say, which were like pavilions where these sick people would, would spend their time and they would lay uh, in wait for their healing. But this place wasn't necessarily what they thought it represented. People came here for help. They came here for healing. It was more like a last resort than it was their top choice. One writer said of Bethesda that it was anything but a place of mercy. It was more like a place of sickness and misery. But on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus chose to stop at this location. Now, it's interesting to note, if you have read the book of John, you probably remember in John chapter 1 that it says that Jesus came to that which was his own, but his own did not recognize him. Perhaps part of the reason was because he was usually hanging out with people that weren't about the power structures of his society. But he rather made intentional steps to be in the lives of those who were powerless. I remember hearing years ago from one of my favorite teachers, he said that um, often the Jewish people believed that when the Messiah would come to, to planet Earth uh, to help people, there would be no more misery. But instead, what we find here in Scripture is that wherever there is misery, there is where the Messiah is. Bethesda itself was a place of misery, and Jesus went there. This past week, I was reading an article in the National Geographic magazine that highlighted the HIV community in South Africa. This article said that 94 out of every 100 HIV-infected people who live in developing nations um, currently do not have drug therapies um, affordable to them. And this is the kind of place that Jesus visited. It was Bethesda. It was the first Celebrate Recovery meeting and Jesus stepped into this place that was full of problems. Now, it's interesting to me because Jesus went there totally unexpectedly. The interesting thing is that he went out of his way um, to something else, which in my view is a very common, common God thing. He often shows up in the most unlikely places unexpectedly. In John chapter 3, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, and Nicodemus is trying to figure out what he needs to do to learn from Jesus, what he needs to do to be saved, to be born again. And Jesus says, you have to, you know, you know, be born again of the Spirit, be born again of the water. 
And Jesus explains how God works because Nicodemus just isn't understanding what's going on. And, and Jesus says, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. And this is kind of how God shows up. He shows up out of nowhere. It's the nature of God. He'll show up to you in unexpected ways. Just consider some of the examples in Scripture where God showed up. In John chapter 8, we read of um, God showing up and being an advocate for a woman who was caught in the act of adultery. The religious people of his day throw this woman at his feet and ask him, what should we do with this woman? She's clearly caught in sin. She's clearly living a dark life. What should we do? We find Jesus advocating for her. We also see Jesus visiting a woman at the well. As you may recall, in John chapter 4, this woman had five husbands, and Jesus tells her, the man that you're with right now is not your husband. And we find him showing up and speaking into the life of this lady. He showed up to the apostle Paul on the road to Damascus. He came to Moses and spoke to him through a burning bush. And as Pastor Matt shared a couple of weeks ago, he went to Zacchaeus' house. The prevailing theme in all of these stories is that he goes to where people are. He's not contained in a synagogue. He's not contained in a church building or some other high-powered meeting. He goes out of his way to enter people's lives. He goes off the beaten path to visit a place where the real problems reside. So Jesus stepped into a problem situation. And when he did, he didn't just walk through. He gets personal with the problem, which leads to the second point. Jesus gets personal. Let's read verses 5 and 6. It says that one who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Now, we know that Jesus, we've already established that Jesus is willing to go where the problem is. And it says that he saw someone uh, lying in this place where people had lots of problems. But Jesus makes it a personal situation. It was about this one man. He went deep with this one person. It says in verse 6 that he learned that he had been in this condition for a long time. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes when I read words like this in the Bible, it causes me to kind of reflect a little deeper on what these words might mean. Um, he says he learned about this man. Now, in the New English translation, it says that he realized that the man had been disabled. He realized this man's condition. So I want to kind of look up this word, and I went to uh, dictionary.com to look up what realize actually means. And it says this. It says realize means to grasp or understand clearly, to bring vividly to a person's mind. So the entire situation of this man's life was fully grasped and understood clearly by Jesus. The shame, the low self-esteem, the rejection, maybe the lack of friends, maybe even the anger, or maybe even the question, why would God do this to me? 
Jesus fully grasped this man's situation and he personalized the problem, every detail of the problem. I heard a story about a man offering a little boy who was returning from uh, Bible class a dollar if he would show him where God was. The little boy responded and said, Mr., I'll give you a dollar if you show me where God is not. This is why Jesus said, I think, in Luke chapter 12, indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. God's nature is to make things personal with you. His nature is to make things personal with me. He has your number. He has mine. And he didn't just pass through Bethesda to get a casual glance at the situation. He entered into this problem and he made it personal. He knows the details of your life. He doesn't just glance and look away. He enters into our problems. I was talking with one of my best friends uh, this past week. Uh, he is uh, the overseer of one of the largest churches in um, north, uh, northeast Indiana. And uh, I won't share his name, but um, he was expressing to me uh, something about a problem that he had. Um, in fact, the problem that he had was sort of a, involved uh, a lot of people in that community where he resides, and he was pretty down. So I shared with him, not really thinking much about it, uh, a teaching from someone that I think is a really good uh, teacher of God's word. So I shared it with him on Monday, and then um, he sent me a message via text later on uh, that afternoon. He said, hey, I really need to talk to you. Uh, this, this teaching just really got to me. And uh, this friend of mine is not very uh, expressive. Um, he's not very emotional. He doesn't really like to talk about those kinds of things, but he's really good at leading what he leads and doing what he does. And he said, I have to tell you, when I listened to this, it, it wrecked me. It did something to me. And it really affected me on a very deep level to the point where he said, uh, I'm in my hotel room, I'm here for a conference, and I just, I just couldn't stop crying. And I said, well, what's going on? Tell me. He's like, well, you know, all these problems that I've been sharing with you over these past couple of weeks have gotten me to this point where I'm thinking in my mind that it'd be better for me to just be gone. I said, well, tell me what you mean by, by gone, like leaving the church and going doing something else. He's like, no, I've just, he's like, I've not even shared this with my wife, um, but I have felt like I needed to just, just die and just go away. God understands the details of my friend's life. I think he was even shocked um, to hear a word from God and for it to pervade through all of his emotions, uh, his entire situation, and for it to go deep with him. And I think that that story really illustrates what is going on here with this, with this lame man. My friend needed that word, and um, God was fully aware of the details of his situation. And Jesus had his eyes wide open with this young man, um, as he did with my friend, even to the point where my friend spared even of life. So when Jesus goes to this problem, 
um, he understands and fully grasps what's going on with this problem in much the same way that he does in your life and in mine. He sees your unrelenting disappointment. He knows about your self-doubts. He knows about your shame, about the feelings you might have towards your father. He knows maybe when you feel like a failure. He knows you and your condition. That's why it says in Hebrews 4.15, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. It says that Jesus saw this man lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time. So when Jesus finds us where we are, he does not want to leave us there. He wants to deal with the problem. Let's read verses 7 through 9. It says, Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. When I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. Now, as you may know, this uh, lame man had a superstitious belief, as did everyone else who were hanging around this pool, um, that something would happen that if they got into the pool. But if you look at your Bible, if you have an NIV version, you'll notice that there isn't a verse 4. Do you see that? This is the first time I ever recognized this when I was preparing for this, uh, for this message. Uh, so I did a little bit of research, and scholars say that this verse was actually omitted on purpose, and that many say that it's missing from some of the old manuscripts that they use to interpret the Bible. But some of the manuscripts actually have a verse 4 in it. For instance, if you read uh, verse, uh, verse 4 out of the New King James Version of the Bible, it says the following. It says, In these lay a great multitude of sick, pe sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. So this was why the people were here. They had this notion that if they could get into the water after the angel came, that they could get, they could get well, that they could get healed. But what we find here is that this man could not help himself. The lame man was hoping to get into the water to get healed of his lifelong problem, but people were beating him to it. He was trying to help himself, but he couldn't make it happen. Now, when Pastor Matt began the Celebrate Recovery series a couple of weeks ago, he shared that the entire premise of this series is built on a statement that was made by Jesus that says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, what you might know is that Jesus meant, what he meant by this is that when people recognize they can't reach God on their own, this is actually a good thing because this is the point at which God can actually do his best work. And quite personally, I think that's why we read this story in the scriptures. I think the biblical writers are trying to illustrate a point that when people come to God, the best way to get his power to influence you is to recognize that you can't help yourself. 
The other thing that's interesting about this story is that we see no record in this story of this man actually having any kind of faith. It doesn't even say that he knows who's talking to him when Jesus is asking him if he wants to get well. He doesn't even know that he's talking to the God of the universe. But Jesus steps in and gives him something that he can't give himself. Many years ago, I was um, listening to a teaching by Danny Meyer, who is a well-known pastor at the Vineyard Church in Columbus. Anybody ever heard of Vineyard Churches in here? So uh, Danny Meyer is one of the most well-known vineyard pastors really in the country. And he tells a story of when he was a young boy, he would go up to New York and visit his grandparents. And uh, they usually had sort of a, a thing they did every single time when he would go to visit you know, his grandpa and grandmother. And he said that when he would arrive at his grandparents' house, he would walk up the steps and his grandfather would greet him at the front door. And his grandfather would say to him, all right, let's do it. And what they would do is uh, he would have Danny Meyer reach into his pocket and pull out whatever was in his pocket. You know, it could be like a half-eaten peanut butter jelly sandwich. You know, it could be maybe like 15 cents. It could be a pencil. Uh, sometimes he did, had nothing in there, and uh, he would dig and he would reach, and his grandfather would say, okay, come on, give me, give me what you have. And he sometimes didn't have anything, but his grandfather wanted something. So sometimes he'd have to dig really deep, and invariably he'd pull out some lint. He'd say, this is all I have, grandfather. His grandfather would say, well, give that to me. So he would take the lint out of his hand, and it was usually a silly thing. And his grandfather would give him like a brand new Snickers bar or maybe a $10 bill. And you know, as a young kid, a $10 bill is like a million dollars to people. And so he'd take that brand new Snickers bar or that brand new dollar bill and put it in his pocket. And he would say, thank you, grandfather. And his grandfather would say, thank you for giving me what you had. And they would make this exchange. I liken that to this story because this young man, this lame man, had nothing to give Jesus. He had absolutely nothing to give. And in my view, this is the foundation on which a Christian faith is built. I think in our culture sometimes we have this misconception that we have to sort of create this ladder to get to God. And in fact, what is actually true is that God actually comes down the ladder to meet us where we are, to give us something we can't give ourselves. So God says, I want you to reach into the pocket of your life, your pocket that's full of junk, and give me what you have. He says, give me your pocket full of anger. I know what to do with that. He says, give me your pocket that's full of jealousy. Give me your pocket that's full of an addiction to alcohol or painkiller drugs. He says, give me your pocket that's full of a secret sexual sin. Give me your pocket that might be full of anxiety. A pocket full of low self-esteem. Or your pocket that's full of bitterness towards another brother or sister in Christ. He might even say, give me your pocket that's full of doubts 
towards God. It's a place to begin. Rick Warren, the guy that is the lead pastor of the church where Celebrate Recovery got started, says that he frequently talks with people who carry hurts for 30 to 40 years. And he says, sometimes, you know, in our culture, we have this misunderstanding that time will heal all things. Well, what we know is that that isn't necessarily true. That the longer you hold on to something, the worse it can get. So I think the message from this story is that when Jesus steps into a situation, he goes to where the problem is, and he gets personal with the problem because he wants to fix it. And in my view, that's the message of Celebrate Recovery, is God can reach down into each of our lives and help us do what we can't do for ourselves. I open by saying that Jesus said, um, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And I heard one man say one time, responding to God is like looking up at a surgeon before he cuts you wide open. And you say, what will I look like after surgery, doc? Are you willing to let God cut you open and give you something that you can't provide for yourself? Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for your word and I thank you for your promise. You look, you look down into our life situation that seems unbearable. You look down into our problems and you desire to step into them and you desire to get personal so that you can resolve the things that we might not even understand. So I pray, God, that as we end this time with you, that you would use these words from John chapter 5 to speak to hearts and minds in this room. I pray that you would become the great physician that we know that you are and that you would do the work that only you can do. We pray and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.